You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. For the next hour, you're listening to the Classic Auto Mall show and podcast. Broadcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Classic Auto Mall is a world-class facility conveniently located just an hour west of Philadelphia and houses 600 classic cars for sale and 300 barn finds on display. Be sure to check out more at ClassicAutoMall.com. Now on to the show with our host, President of Classic Auto Mall, Stuart Howden. And good morning. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Ethan. A nice cold day in Pennsylvania. Golly. So today is January the 14th we're recording, which we're airing on. First airing will be January 21st. It's our 71st episode or show. Or I don't Although that car yeah guy has done 2,200, I saw on his website the other day. So it's going to take us a while. He does, he does a, few a week. I think he does five a week, yeah, doesn't wow. he? Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I think he does. He's got, he's got everybody on there. He had Zach Brown from McLaren and, and, uh, he's had some really interesting Ari Lyondike and I think Stuart Howden's on the list. I think I'm on the list if I ever call him back. I need to call him and tell him. Thanks to the uh, Pat Travers band for our theme music. We love them and uh, appreciate them allowing us to, to play their song, Offbeat Ride, which is one of my favorites from back in the days when I was a youngster. <laughs> Way, way back. Way back. My goodness gracious, what a busy week we've had here and an unbelievable week watching Meekum. We'll get into that on in Kissimmee, 4,200 cars they've got down there. It's it's staggering. I don't know how they process it. We've been here five years. We haven't consigned 4,200 cars yet, and they do it in 10 days. Amazing. And then two weeks from now, they're going to Glendale and have 2,000 mm-hmm. cars there. What the heck? A lot of cars out there. <laughs> makes, you, makes you wonder how many cars are out there. Well, you, if there's that many changing hands and moving through the market, I mean, think about it. Where we are, uh, 75% of our cars come within, oh, 80% of our cars come within a 75 mile radius of our place where we stand right here. So think about that. That's that many cars mm-hmm. that are for sale using our format. You know, it's not to say that those guys aren't going to Barrett and Meekum and all the other auction houses and Carlisle and different places you can go. So, there's a lot of cars out there, so a lot of hidden away uh, treasures in the garages around here. So, and we sold quite a few. We're on a we're on a little bit of a roll lately. We sold uh, 22 last week. Nice. So yeah, so it keeps them busy, keeps Kathy honest, and mm-hmm. keeps her from getting electrocuted. <laughs> Keep her at work more often. Anyway, uh, where might we say we sold cars to last week, Steve? Yep. How I was about? Can ask that. <laughs> You were always going to ask that. You never do. I always you beat cue you. me, I'll cue you. <laughs> I'll cue you. So last week we sold cars to Pottstown, Pennsylvania, Stanfield, North Carolina, Freehold, New Jersey, Linwood, Washington, Toms River, New Jersey, Edinburgh, Virginia, Holland, Pennsylvania, LaGrangeville, New York, Walbridge, Ohio, Batavia, Illinois, Brownstown, Michigan, Sant- Santa Paula, California, Nottingham, New Hampshire, Gordonville, Pennsylvania, Enoree, South Carolina, Mulberry, Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, Tracy, California, Millbrae, California, York, Pennsylvania, and Hanover, Pennsylvania. Wow. They were everywhere. <laughs> yeah. 13, 14 states. You are so good at that quick math. Yeah. That's so impressive, Steve. So uh, anyway, uh, if you have a great car to sell, ClassicAutomall.com is our website. Uh, you can reach us uh, there or info at ClassicAutomall.com is our website or our email address. Or you can call us at 888-227-0914 and talk to one of our car specialists, uh, and they can help you, guide you through the process and the procedure of consigning a car. And it's simple. There's no upfront fees, no monthly fees. We only get paid when we sell, when we perform. So we're kind of like real estate agents, except mm-hmm. it's cars. Right. And uh, and no admission to come in and see the collection as well, too. So and we have over 900. We have 900 consignments and 200 barn finds in the building. 
We're busting at the seams. <laughs> 200 barn finds down from a little bit. 350 okay. is where we were. I finally did a real count. You know, I've just been spouting out numbers, and <laughs> I don't even really know where they come from. Uh, but down from our original 350, we've sold about 125 of them. Mm. But barn finds are not as easy to sell as they used to be because – in the old days, there was a lot of guys tinkering around with Model A's and Model T's, and they'd buy a barn find with no title because they needed most of the parts off of it, and the hole is cheaper than the sun, than the parts. Mm-hmm. So if you went and bought the parts individually, you'd pay more than if you bought the whole car. But nowadays, we advertise some of these cars, no title. So the guy says, yeah, I got it, no title. And then we sell it to him, and they go, so how do we get a title? <laughs> <laughs> How do you get a title in a 1928 Chevy? Well, you, you got to be very creative. There are ways to get titles for cars. There's legal things that you do that you fill out and bond, and you got to go before a judge. And there's a whole procedure, and I don't know really much of any of it, but uh, and it's state to state, uh, yeah, and it's state to state. So it all it all depends on where you're from, and, and you know some states don't have titles anymore. So like New Hampshire and New York, anything that's 25 years or older doesn't even have a title, just has a registration. And sometimes you'll sell a car on a registration to a buyer in California, and California says, no, no, mm-hmm. no, no, you can't. We That's not possible. They're, they have to have a title. No, they don't have titles. So I am going to be the first to raise my hand to vote for federalization of titles and bills of sale of automobiles because back in the day when you sold a car you generally sold it within five miles of your dealership so you you the state laws were right there you know you didn't you didn't worry about what north carolina did or didn't do or south carolina or florida or whatever nowadays most cars are bought probably past state lines so yeah a lot of internet a lot of internet stuff and and especially in the classic car world so i think if we federalize the titles god (laughs) careful what you wish for yeah uh if we federalize the titles then i think that it would make everybody's job easier because i can't tell you how many people sign in the wrong space on an unfamiliar title because they Mm -hmm. are used to being a certain place to sign and then they go on the back of it and you sign in the wrong spot and of course that's creates difficulties and so but that's what we're here for because we can take the headache out of selling your car and dealing with the paperwork and dealing with you know cashier's checks and you remember in the old days cashier's checks were gold right Mm -hmm. Eh, not anymore right (laughs) how'd you like to give your car to a guy on saturday night he gives you a cashier's check he takes off monday morning you go into the bank no, it's not any good. We don't recognize this at all. <laughs> this bank doesn't exist. Cashier's checks are about as good as personal checks. They're about as good. There's still five business days to clear. Yeah. So if you want to bring a cashier's check, don't. If you want to take the car home today, bring greenbacks or wire the money from your bank directly to our bank. And once that happens, then we're good to go. Yep. So anyway, some of the new inventory this week. Uh, 1956 Pontiac Star Chief Catalina Custom Sedan. I just wanted to say all those words together. So, <laughs> long one. Sandalwood tan and sun beige over rust and beige. I don't think that they would call a color rust these days. I would think that would have a <laughs> negative connotation, yeah. right? Um, new brakes and wheel cylinders. This thing is re- rebuilt, uh, one family owned, 317 cubic inch V8, rebuilt hydromatic transmission. Really a cool car. I mean, you talk about you know, antique car and what you think of, and you think of 55, 56, 57 Chevys or Pontiacs or Oldsmobiles from that era. They just have that look and feel of an antique or classic car. It's a beautiful car. Lots of chrome and just beautiful curves and lines and, and reasonable. I think it's, if you're getting in the classic car market and you're looking for something like, yeah. Like this, it's a, it's a reasonable car. Yeah, I think it's mid-20s or mm-hmm, something on mm-hmm. that, which is about an entry-level car. Yep. I mean, I know it's – that. you say that's not a lot of money, but go price a new car these days. Right. 
The new Silverado, the electric one, is going or the new Denali electric, a yeah. hundred and eight thousand dollars is the starting price on it. Who in that? What the? I I just don't get it. And it's not as pretty as the Pontiac. The <laughs> no, it's not the '56 Star Chief, um, which is probably politically incorrect too. Somehow, some way, right? You know. sure. um, how about the 2000 F750 Crew Cab? <laughs> now, this is way outside the realm of what we do in classic car world. This thing, have you seen this thing? Yeah, it is yeah. huge. I've always dreamed about picking up my kids in one of those at school. Like, How embarrassing for the kids, right? So cool. I'll never forget Kathy picked up the kids one time in an orange and white Volkswagen Vanagon, and uh-huh. the kids were horrified. Really? They were so embarrassed. She thought it was going to be so cool. and, and cool. Yeah, I thought it was cool. And uh, the kids were like, oh, Mom, please never, ever pick us up in that again. That is so embarrassing. What were you thinking? And I'm like, gosh. My dad used to drive me to school in his XKE, 67. Nice. And, oh, it wasn't nice in the wintertime. That thing leaked like a sieve, and it was cold, and, you know, the defroster didn't work. And, you know, hmm. oh, it just, you know, it wasn't a lot of fun. It was cool to look at. My dad bought it at night in the rain. And, of course, he found out that he probably shouldn't have bought it at night in the rain because all cars look good in the rain <laughs> for some reason. That's so, right. But, uh, but anyway. This is like know. a pedestrian-level uh Freightliner. Freightliner. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It's and that, that's, uh, that's, that's hard to describe what it is, but it's huge. <laughs> I mean, an F750, you know what an F350 or a 250 is. So it's got a 7.2 liter Detroit, Detroit cat diesel, Allison six speed. It's got 605 foot pounds yeah. of torque. You can tow with it. Man. <laughs> you might be able to tow a trailer or two with it. Of course, I don't know what the daggum thing weighs, but mm-hmm. air brakes, air suspension, it's got a 33,000 uh, pound GVWR. Which I'm not even sure. When I, mean, I say that, and then I go, I don't even really know what that means. <laughs> what does that mean, really? I mean, does that mean you can haul 33,000 pounds, or does that mean the total weight of the rig and the trailer? And I don't know. So I should stop saying things that I don't know the answer to. And I say that more often than I should. So, but anyway, if you're in the need for a F750, yeah, then by golly, we have, I think we've got another one that's similar to that too. So anyway, um, how about let's get back to something more normal. Here's my lovely bride, uh, 48 Chevrolet Fleetmaster Sport Coupe, um, with the wood on the sides, uh, Oxford maroon and wood over tan. And, uh, it's the country club package. So rarely seen, uh, so they say mm-hmm. 216 cubic inch inline six, uh, three speed manual tranny and on the column shift, no doubt. Talk about confusing the millennials. It's bad <laughs> enough with a four speed on the floor, but how right. about a three on the tree? Oh my goodness. You know, and they're not, they're people even that are car guys that get confused by three on the tree. I'm like, it's, it's the same pattern. It's just uh-huh. at a different angle. It's weird. <laughs> if you're never doing it. It is weird, but the wood sides on this thing look really beautiful. cool. Beautiful. Car. That's why my wife was, she wanted a Grand Wagoneer until she found out they weren't going to put the wood grain on the sides on the new ones that they just came out with last year. And she's like, well, why wouldn't they do that? That's the way the Grand Wagoneers were. They had wood on the sides. It's, mm-hmm. So I digress. But anyway, how about a 62, this Corvette Roadster that we got in? It's a magnetic red metallic over tan. This thing is unbelievable. Won so many awards. It's a, it's a resto mod. Which, you know, I'm, I have mixed emotions about Arresto mods. I, you know, I, I hope that it didn't do away with a really good car. I'm hoping that it's a car that was sans engine and, you know, didn't have any of the drivetrain. Mm-hmm. And so they said, Hey, you know what? No harm, no foul if we're going to make something out of it. Uh, but this thing is unbelievable. It's got a 5.7 liter LS1, 408 horsepower, Magnuson supercharger. Now think about this on a 62 vet. 
the hop horsepower for them back in the day would have been 245 maybe with a fuelie. I mean, my goodness, have double the horsepower. And it's a Newman's car creation chassis, and it's a T56 uh, manual, Tremec uh, five-speed manual, which are great to have because we all know that a four-speed is great maybe in racing and, a gr- and great when you're running around the neighborhood on the twisty roads. But get out on the highway with a four-speed, and you are begging for a fifth gear. <laughs> I mean, just right. feel like the car's just going to explode, especially with the rear end gearing. Um, so another new car we got in, this one's a little outside the box too, an 07911 turbo Porsche. Man, this thing is beautiful. GT Silver over Terracotta. It's the 3.6 liter twin turbo, all wheel drive. Uh, man, oh man, oh man, this thing is just smoking fast. It is really, it's, they are, they're, they're almost deceivingly fast. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not loud, loud. You hear the noise and you hear it spooling up and those, you know, six cylinder Porsche engines are pretty cool to begin with. But, uh, man, this thing is just, it's a beast. And, and, but you can drive it in normal traffic and, and that's not, you know, a few years ago, that wasn't as, you had something that powerful, you really couldn't drive it in bumper to bumper traffic, we like to say. Also got a newer, another kind of a driver quality car, 2008 Jaguar XKR Coupe. It's salsa over charcoal, uh, black leather and walnut interior, 4.2 liter supercharged V8. This thing is really cool. Red. That red is. It's bright red. It's fire engine red. <laughs> yeah, arrest me red. So, but you know, listen, if you, if you're buying a car to be noticed, mm-hmm. then buy it in red. If you're not, buy it in gray <laughs> or white or something like that. You know, they say that, I've said this before, they say some of the car dealers will tell you that they, they don't like a lot of choices of colors because it confuses people. People come to buy a car and they, oh, well, I really like the red one, but oh, I like the brown one. Oh, but that's, you know, that silver's really, you know, they're like, Mercedes guys will tell you, look, just give us a couple of colors, <laughs> one or two, maybe three. And, uh, and that's all we need. Black, white, and silver. <laughs> That'll cover all the bases. So when we return, we, we have a special guest in the studio with us, Chuck Cantwell. And we'll tell you all about Chuck in just a minute when we return to the Classic Automall podcast. See ya. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Automall Podcast. Man, they are coming in like crazy today. Well, they're here all here to see our special guest. I'm sure that that's what the word has gotten out that the in, the uh, the world famous. Chuck Cantwell here with us. Uh, had a nickname back in the day. I don't know if you like this nickname or not. Mr. GT350, was that yeah, what, well, how they referred a, to you? That's what Shelby called me. <laughs> not a bad, uh, not a bad, uh, way to be recognized, right, by Shelby. So, um, uh, you were the, the lead engineer, I guess, on the GT350 and, and more the racing side of it though, or were you in both well, sides? No, I was on both sides. Were you? Uh, production and the racing end. 
Right. And the Trans Am, is, that came along. And you grew up in uh, Speedway, Indiana. So how perfect for you to be in the car business. <laughs> Did you go to the Indy 500 every year? Every year. <laughs> I missed the first year after the war. Right. Nope. And, and then 47 until I moved away. Right. Uh, in the 60s. And, right. And uh, but I just come back and, and I always... In Cal- when we're in California, they used to show the movie, the race on in you know, a theater. No Grauman, kidding. Grauman's Chinese theater. No kidding. Very, I didn't know that. How cool is that? There were different things. Yeah. Know. I want, so did they get, so it was it, it was it a, a day or two delayed or was it a, a no, it real was time? No, live. No yeah, kidding. Live. They'd fill the theater up with people and oh <laughs> off, my God. off they'd go. So. How fun would that be to go watch a race in a movie theater? That yeah. would be cool. Well, you know, you see that in like, uh, 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 pro sports now or sports, even college sports where the, the team will be playing in a bowl somewhere in California and their teams from Florida and they'll watch it in the stadium. You know, everybody will gather in the stadium, even though there's no game going on there. Right. So how cool is that? I can't imagine it was terribly expensive back in the day. Was it a couple of bucks to go see that? Yeah, or? a couple of bucks. <laughs> I had a couple of bucks for qualifying. We always went to qualifying because they had a hundred thousand people there for qualifying right. weekend. And then uh, the race, it was five bucks for general mission, I think. And <laughs> If you didn't sneak under the fence, which we did a few times. <laughs> well, a lot of people lived right there. I mean, right next to the, like across the street from the track. There was people. Yeah, that, it was, yeah, it was right in the. I was surprised the first time I went to the the uh, Indianapolis 500. I thought it would be kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and it was not. I no, mean, not at all. Like in a neighborhood, <laughs> you know. Gonna, probably could be tough to get that zoned in these days. Yeah. Kind of like Maple Grove yeah. up the street from us. I don't think that <laughs> in this day and age you could get a two-lane road into bringing that many people into <laughs> a race course. So you, you left Indianapolis or Indiana and moved to California? No, I was, uh, I worked at Allison. I, which was a GM company. I'd gone right. to school at GMI, General Motors Tech, and I co-opted Allison. Allison at that time built jet engines and transmissions and, and they had a, had a one shop, the original race shop, which was part of the Jim Allison's, uh, initial shop as one of the founders of the Speedway. Oh, really? Uh, he, oh, I didn't know that. Um, they, they built railroad bearings for boxcars. No kidding. And they were, they were poured, poured Babbitt bearings with big, big things. And they had these tanks around with right. cruddy looking stuff where they dipped the bearings and everything. <laughs> How funny. And Allison Transmissions are still around. They're still, well, we were Allison just talking about them. Transmissions, yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're at the top of the heap. Top of the heap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're really yeah. good. Absolutely. So you loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly at some point in time in the early 60s, right? Well, <laughs> what I, I, in, yeah, in 60 I moved to Detroit. Right. And worked for GM Styling. I transferred. There's some people from Styling came around looking for Looking for people and right. interviews, so I thought, well, I'll see what that's all about. That's a <laughs> car car place, and we're right in the aircraft business with with Alice. So I I talked to them, and, and uh, they were sports car people. The guy that was looking for people was a sports car guy, and, and I was racing sports cars and at that time in Indianapolis, and so I. Uh, got a job with them and worked for them for four years in Detroit. Then after that, I went out to California when a friend of mine uh, who worked for GM at the tech center was uh, 
he's he said let's go let's go to dinner i want to talk to you about something right so he was in the middle of middle of 1964 right somewhere and uh, so he he told me about the program there the shelby mustang and of course i knew shelby uh, shelby's operation and and, uh successes and everything i'd seen them race at elkhart lake when i was up there racing and so um we we talked i went out and interviewed and they offered me a job so golly uh, as project engineer and that was wow so you went from you were working in the styling department, right? At, yeah, I worked which was unusual for is that not unusual for an engineer to be in the styling department? Well, that was I worked in a I worked in preliminary engineering at Allison, and this group was called preliminary engineering. Also, we right. did all kind of odd stuff, right? Uh, <laughs> on on different projects, and that was and working in amongst the all the talented people oh. at a styling operation. It was. And in the middle of the tech center there at, that, in Warren, Michigan, that was some it of the was, best styling in, in the, of, oh, of our they, they ever. Were, they were good, good people. Yeah, and just pleasure to know them and uh, just to see what they did, see sure. their work. It was enlightening. And was it always a battle between you know the accounting department and the in, in styling department on you know getting something approved because the styling said this and in, and the accounting said no, 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 no that's too expensive. <laughs> well, they're all kind of battles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that being one of them, right? Yeah, that being one of them. Uh, Mitchell would have ideas, uh, and he was the head of the styling, and the studios had their heads, and and everybody the had engineering to... people in in the divisions had their own ideas mm-hmm. and, so they had to m- separate all that out and combine it and come to common level mitchell got some great things through though didn't he i mean oh, look at the 64 oh. riviera oh yes well, it's still a beautiful car to this yeah. day yeah he he did beautiful cars. was he was he an interesting guy to, to oh, know very, yeah. Very interesting yeah. Guy, yeah yeah i would and imagine he was a race fan i mean he'd go oh, oh really he'd be a, always have something to take to elkhart lake in the fall right. for the 500 right. that, yeah, that's right. Elkhart Lake was probably as close, the closest road. Well, it was, it was 400. And oh, is it that far? I guess it is. You, you get up there in that northern tundra area. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and I, I, you know, I towed, I raced some MGs and I, I towed, flat towed them for a while and then you do a 450 mile flat toe. That's a long drive. <laughs> And then you're going to race again. Yeah, but it was worth it. Yeah, great race. Well, at the time we were, you know, younger and more energetic and more enthusiastic, (laughs) right? But uh, California had to be a little bit. Was it a culture shock back then? I mean, did you know much about California before you moved there? I did not. It was sort of a just go and an adventure (laughs) set up, and and I had just uh, gotten engaged to to, and when I went to. Out to California, I was out there for about three months, and then came back at Christmas time to Michigan. And and day after Christmas, we got married and and drove our car and wow. our little U-Haul trailer out to <laughs> wow. out to California. That was our honeymoon. Oh, well, hey, not a bad honeymoon, though, right? <laughs> no, right? Was, I mean, yeah, right. could be worse things to go places oh, to yeah. go, right? And yeah, it was uh, nice. we saw a lot of stuff on the way. So your official title was project engineer, as I jokingly said, or not jokingly said, Mr. GT350 was what everybody calls you because that was your baby, right? I mean, yep. that was... That well, was the engineer mm-hmm. on, on that car. We, we, not we're, that I designed everything. Sure. I had the, my responsibility was getting it all put together and making it work and supporting the production. People that, that were 
trying to build the car. Sure. What were your initial thoughts of the Mustang? Did you think it was uh, the right car for the project, or did you like it, or did you just say, okay, this is what we're dealt, we'll deal with it? Well, yeah, I, I guess that was more of the thing. I didn't see anything wrong with it. I didn't know anything about it much. And when, but before I was left styling, we had started on the on the Camaro. That was in the styling and studio, right. and that was coming along part way. It wasn't released yet, but but it was it was um, seemed like a good car. And then Sam Smith, who was uh, my friend that that went to work for Ray Geddes and Ford Special Vehicles, right. and he was a liaison with with Ford and Shelby American when Carol Shelby. So he. He introduced me to the, the situation. Sure. And, and before I even went to California, we spent three weeks with big accounting table uh, right. paper laying out every <laughs> every single part we're going to have wow. to do anything with and what the situation was with, with the particular part. And the, even nuts and bolts, we were trying to get down wow. a list of everything. I mean, they, they had a lot of... Uh, they Ford knew what they wanted to do, what they wanted to achieve with it, pretty, right. pretty yeah. much. But it wasn't all detailed, and, and the parts weren't all. We had a purchasing guy that worked with us in in uh, California, but when Sam and I laid out all the stuff on these ta- tablets, and we laid out every component and 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 put the situation of the com- the component was. Laid out whether or not it was it was a purchase per component from somebody like we bought transmissions from Borg Warner and they would be installed on the on the cars at Ford they could ship them to Ford and they could be installed That's other other things that saved you a little bit of time uh, and effort yeah right? that, anything we could do in San Jose had mm. to be in the Ford system <clears throat> so it was we couldn't do everything there that's why we had Shelby America but we had. Uh, Parts, some things we had to buy from from specialty manufacturers mm-hmm. and you know headers and things like that. What about did you and did you fabricate stuff as well too? Or we fabricated stuff right. as well, right. and right. usually we didn't fabricate it in house except for the early early ones we made the first fifteen cars right. or so. We probably made a lot of parts for. Right. We had we had suppliers that that we. Did some drawings. I mean, some of them were like back of the envelope <laughs> drawings, or here's a sample we build. Try to see if we <laughs> we build build one or two and say, right. here's what we want. Yeah, here's the specs. There, yeah, build a couple hundred. <laughs> and were you all working out of Venice at the time, or had you yeah, moved? To- well, no. When we started there, we were in Venice, and gradually moved uh, into the LAX airport. When the race race guys went to Daytona, they'd take. Their trailer loads full of race stuff. When they come back, they'd go over to the, they'd drop them off at the, at the hangers. And then that was how you moved, kind that's of. How, that's <laughs> sort of how we moved a, a lot of it. And, and then we had one big major move, which was very well laid out. And uh, I think I only lost one. One part, I had a little box about six inches cubed, and I forget what, even what was in it. But that, that didn't show up till about three months later. <laughs> oh, there that is. Yeah, I've been looking for that stupid thing. Yeah. Well, but, and, and the nice thing about the LAX is you had, you really had basically a test track there, right? Because I, from what I understand, the test track prior to that would have been Sunset and Mulholland, or? Well, <laughs> actually, they, they did some running around on the marina. At, at, right. Uh, 
Marina Santa Monica Marina, which right. wasn't too far away from the Venice uh, Venice place. They, they, but that wasn't if they really wanted to test race cars. Then they went to Riverside or Willow Spring. We did most of the Mustang testing. We did a couple uh, at the very beginning at at Riverside, and then we did all the rest at Willow Springs. Fantastic, yeah. They, they were both good tracks. Oh, great tracks. They I, were both 90 miles away from the shop, so it didn't make any difference. Which, well, either one, either right? Way, yeah. <laughs> Whoever had the free free time and uh, availability. So when we return, uh, we will continue our conversation with uh, Chuck Cantwell, former Shelby employee, and talk to you in a bit tonight. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast on a gloomy, beautiful <laughs> Pennsylvania day. So the, the the biggest question about the GT350, Chuck, is where did the name come from? <laughs> is it? <laughs> well, well, there's stories, and I've heard it firsthand from Shelby. That, right. uh, he, he and Remington were... Sitting in his office and talking about, well, what should we call this thing? Because it, it had been a um, Mustang, Shelby Mustang right. was the na- name we had attached to the project. <clears throat> but but they were talking and and for some reason or other, Shelby, we had we had two in in uh, Venice. We had two buildings and they were around the corner from each other. Mm-hmm. But there was a field in between, so diagonally. So Shelby. Asked Remington, how far is it from this building to the other building? And, and Rem said, oh, it's about 350 feet or something like that. <laughs> and, he, and Shelby said, okay, that's what we'll call it. I love that. <laughs> and I the mean, 500 just was another number. There. Right, right. Somebody said that it was because it weighed 500 more pounds than the GT350, <laughs> but no, I don't. Nothing, nothing associated n- at all. Meaningfully at all. Was just right. right. How funny is that, though? But I think that Shelby was quoted as saying that the name wouldn't make the car, and if it's a bad car, right. the name won't save it. So right. yeah, it didn't really right. matter. And, of course, nowadays, cars don't even have names anymore. Yeah. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. They're all numbers and, you know, yeah. letters, and I don't I don't quite understand it. I always liked the Bonneville and the Star Chief. Yeah, and, I know. Me too. Yeah. So, uh, so and, and the, um, you know, the GT500 and the KR, we all know that that stood for King of the Road, so, which was really a great name. Although it's surprising they never put, they put 428s and 429s and not the 427. Was there a reason that the 427 well, was never used in those? It was money. I, I think the... The 427 been a much better engine if you were going to compete with it, mm-hmm. but we weren't competing with it. And the police interceptor engine was was a good engine for what it was, and so we used that engine. And, and the, they did a lot. Of, we did a lot of discussion back and forth of which engine to actually use in the car. But uh, that's the one they came up with. Well, and people don't realize that back in the day. A couple hundred dollar difference between something was a huge amount of money. Yes. <laughs> Not like today, where you know, you, you know, a set of wheels are ten thousand dollars. You yeah. know, I mean, oh yes, <laughs> it's it was really uh, you know people say, well, why didn't you get the convertible? Well, it was two hundred dollars more. 
yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> but, you know, getting to, to, to drive and test drive, I mean, did you really test drive every GT350R that that came out of Shelby? Was that? Yeah, yes. Wow. Uh, essentially, actually, the first first couple that we tested were the first two we built, and they were, uh, most of that testing was done by Bondrant and, mm-hmm. and, Shel- and uh, Miles, Ken Miles. And, and I got to ride with Ken Miles. He he would he let me ride with him at Willow Springs. So that's how I learned Willow Springs. So when right. w- when they got involved with all the European racing and other mm-hmm. other racing projects where they were needed as drivers, and and once we had the two cars tested, uh, John Tamanis tested a couple of the cars. He was running the driver school at the time. Right. Which became Bondurant School, right? Yeah. Which, In theory, yeah. Yeah, I guess it rolled over <laughs> right. to Bondurant. So he, he tested those two cars. So about four cars that, that they, we built, I didn't test. And, but then everything after, and I don't even know how it started. I think Tomatis couldn't, couldn't run. One day we wanted to test. And so I said, well, I'll just do it. Right. And I didn't ask anybody. Nobody appointed me. I just sort of slipped it in there. I like that kind of thinking. That's a yeah. that's the way to do it, man. Yeah. Just ah, just assume it and go go for it. So well, I tested like seventy cars. I'll wow. With all the all the GT three fifties and two years of of Trans Am of Trans Am cars. Yeah. So was it was it fun or was it a job at that point in time? I mean, we, did you enjoy the moment or oh, did I, I enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, time on the track. <laughs> Did, when Ken Miles, when you rode with him, would he talk to you through the track and tell you the points and things? Well, and no, he just sort of, uh, he didn't, you just knew where to. couldn't hear anything right. in, in those, in those <laughs> yeah, cars. True. Like but, Never but thought about that. that. One place, the end of the straightaway, you could go through there flat out. Well, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you hadn't had a demonstration of doing that, it would take you a while to work up to that. But, but then after he knew, you know, I could, I knew you could do it. It's doable. <laughs> so you just do it. I rode with the instructors at Bondurant in uh, Arizona, and it was frightening because you think no. there's no way these cars can make this turn. Right. And they do somehow. Well, that's the thing. That, you know, when you give people a ride, I gave a couple of mechanics right. rides different times, and that's the thing that they couldn't <laughs> believe is how deep you can go into the corners and still, yeah. still make the corner. In fact, one our engine guy, he was riding with me, and, I, and there's a uphill um, turn, right hand turn, going out of the back straight at Willow Springs, and I blew a tire. It was near the end of the day. We'd been testing all day. The tires were worn down, and, and for some reason, I blew a tire. Didn't go off the course or anything, but I blew a tire and then spun the car. <laughs> and he was <laughs> woke him up. <laughs> His ears were up in the air. <laughs> he didn't do it anymore. <laughs> they figured they'd leave that to you guys, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're and you're, when you're test driving a new car, if things can go wrong. There's a lot of yeah. uh, there's a lot of opportunity for failure, right, yeah. and for things to happen. And but it was a it was a we knew what the design was. Sure. And it wasn't exploratory too right. much. So I had I had the first. Race car we built, 002, was uh, that Titus ran the first half of the season, and, and I ran that one race and won that at Willow, and another Ed Leslie ran it at Candlestick Park, and then in San Francisco was that San where that Francisco, was? San yeah. Francisco, yeah. And Miles ran it in a race in the fall of uh, 
65. Well, you had the advantage ways. at Willow Grove, right? Because that was yeah, your home oh, track. Yeah, right. yeah, I'd driven a lot of laps on that. I, was, I, I, could, I ran within a tenth of a second of, of Miles' good time. No kidding. And, and wow. I kept trying to knock that tenth of a second off. And then my crew guys, they said, God, get It's only a tenth of a second. Yeah, I know. Finally, one, one day, near the end of the day, the temperature was going down. I had good tires on there, and, and the gas about out of gas. <clears throat> and I ran. I, I got perfect that, scenario. Back. <laughs> so um, the GT three fifty Rs. Well, there was thirty four or 30, three, well, I said thirty six, maybe. But I think it was really thirty five. Thirty five. It turned out right later. And of course, those are quite valuable these days. Oh, those are incredibly oh, valuable. God, the, that's the first one. Yeah, it sold for what three, three point three yeah, point, that, and that was point seven million. Was so. that Miles's personal three fifty R? Not really. Uh, Miles ran the first race in that car. Gotcha. And then Titus ran it after that. Ran several races right. in the divisional championship series. Though he ran a couple that weren't points point races, and then uh, switched over to the second car, which right. was 001. <laughs> and. Um, and then he ran the rest of the season in that and then ran it at uh, Daytona and won and one. the national championship. Wow. I ran 02 in practice at Daytona. But I couldn't, I, because I'd won the one one race during the season that right. I run, <laughs> they figured. I, I got nine points, and that was enough for, like, fifth in the division. <laughs> That's crazy. And, I love and, it. <clears throat> and you couldn't, they took the t- first three cars for for the divisional or right. for the in the division, and they could run the runoffs, but and that was at Daytona the runoffs were Daytona yeah. the runoffs, and and that was B production, right? That was that the was class B production, yeah. Which you raced against what Tigers and well Tigers, uh, Tigers and Jaguar, yeah, yeah, were the, were the in the West Coast anyway, but sure. mostly it was a lot of GG three fifties and right, the, right. And Corvettes. I mean. The object Shelby explained to me when I interviewed was to beat the Corvettes. <laughs> that was it. Beat them Corvettes. <laughs> them damn Corvettes, yeah. Well, like Ford versus Ferrari, beat the Ferrari, you know. Well, I that's mean, right. yeah, same that's thing. the same thing, yeah. right? And the B, I mean, the, the GT350 won B production nationals like five or four or five years in a row. Oh, or yeah, some crazy number, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, Shelby's 100th birthday was just this past yes, week. Right. Hard to believe. Golly. That is just amazing, you know. Uh, and he passed in what, 2012, I guess it was, or how he lived as long as he did with his health yes, and. Well, and he had a heart transplant. <laughs> Yeah, he was, he was pretty tough. <laughs> Six million dollar man or something yeah, that, you know, <laughs> all the parts in him. Yeah. So were you, were you and Shelby, I mean, were you coworkers? Were you friends? Were you, what was your relationship with Shelby? Well, I wasn't on the inside group with them, but when we were starting the project, we had a lot of meetings together with Ray Geddes mm-hmm. from Ford and Sam right. Smith, who, like I say, worked for him, myself and, and Shelby and, and we, have meetings, how are we going, what's happening. Right. What's, uh, I mean, it's informal, kind of, we'd have dinner or something like that. And, uh, so I, we were always on good terms. And after, afterward, when we got to, got together at, at, uh, Cobra Shelby Collection at, in Boulder, um, 
once a year they had a event, which was a fun fundraising event for them. Had dinner, but they had Jack Sears would come over from England, one of the Cobra Coop drivers, and um, Shelby'd be there and Bondurant and and a lot of people. And and I didn't, I wasn't in on the beginning of that, <laughs> but but I got in for several several times. But Shelby was always there and. And he was always very appreciative of, of the pe- early people that worked for him. Sure, sure. And, and he was uh, always interesting to talk to. Oh, uh, yeah. I've got the, a chance to visit with him for a brief time at Bear Jackson one yeah. time. And it was just, you know, for 15, 20 minutes. But he oh, was yeah. just an interesting guy to talk to, yeah. you know. And, and always seemed like he really was interested in what somebody else was saying and not just, you know, listening, yeah, blowing yeah. people off yeah, or something, he, which yeah, a lot of guys do that. How was this chili, by the way? I don't think I ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a couple cans. I don't remember if we ever ate <laughs> Oh. So um, you tested all those. These cars, I think the the, the price point was like 3500 to $4,500 they were back yeah, in the day. About, about I think the R model for thirty nine ninety five or something right. like that. God, yeah. couldn't we have just bought every one of them? <laughs> yeah, right. Shouldn't we? Have? Oh, I tell you, I, I watching this Meekum auction going on in Kissimmee. I think so many cars that I saw Hemi Superbirds. I used to remember see one on the car lot for thirty five hundred dollars. They couldn't yeah, give it yeah, away. Right. Nobody wanted it. So when we return, we'll we'll hope that he'll stick around for our last segment, and uh, we've got a few more things to talk about with uh, Chuck Cantwell, and we'll return here with the Classic Auto Mall podcast in just a minute. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare custom and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast. Don't forget ClassicAutomall.com. And don't forget on our social sites, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all these things that I know nothing about. YouTube. 
See, I didn't forget the YouTube. Uh, still visiting here with our friend Chuck Cantwell, talking about the early Shelby days and uh, other things as well too. I've got enough. I got enough questions. I could bring you on like three or four different shows. And we, we were just talking about souvenirs and memorabilia. Did your address book sell at a Meekum auction for eight hundred and forty-six dollars a couple of years ago? <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> Is that crazy? And then my suede jacket, <laughs> which I, which I had. Wore one time during a test at Willow right, Spring. Right. And there's a picture of that with me and Bond Rant and Miles. That there. is so funny. <laughs> that's so funny. Like, I'd show, I'd, that worn out. And, Just threw it aside, and, and right? Joanne was saying, get that out of here. I said, well, I'll call John and see if he, see if he wants it. So I gave it to John. And it was sort of ratty at the sleeves and stuff. <clears throat> but that thing is sold for money. I was looking something yesterday, and I'm on uh, Meekum's site looking at cars, and I don't know somehow. And it, I was like, "Is that? I mean, that's just so funny." It's, <laughs> yeah. Of course, there's probably some good names in there that you know, interesting names anyway, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, um, back in the heyday of racing, and everybody was talking to everybody, right? So, uh, man, oh man, did I, I think one of the things that I'd read though about Shelby and and the and the GT and the Mustang part of that was when uh, he said to Iacocca, you want me to make a racehorse out of a mule? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I mean, I think the the Mustang, I mean, what an amazing success that was. And and right out of the gate, the Mustang was a successful car just in in general. Forget about the Shelby uh, aspect of it. Um, An amazing car that sold unbelievable amounts of cars. Still is. They did. And you look at that car now, how how old is that? 50, 60 60 60 years. Yeah. <clears throat> or something, and it, and it looks nice sitting on the street. It does. Uh, it's a good car, and uh, if you went back to when that car was new and went back 50 years, you had a Model T. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't look so nice <laughs> in 66. Exactly. And that car has been long-lived. Well, our our buddy Lee Cross puts on the Shelby GT350 tour every year, and he does an amazing job, and it's so cool to see 40, 50 Shelby GT350s all lined up in a parking lot at a hotel somewhere. Uh, oh. Yeah, the one I I was a guest at the at the last one right. just this year. Oh, in, in Missouri, yeah. In Missouri, and yeah. I'd run that two years before. My wife and I had driven that uh, uh, then, and, and she can't come anymore, for, unfortunately. Right. So we had, uh, but there were, you go out there, and, and there are all these, White cars and blue stripes, <laughs> and I was riding with a, with a, one particular guy. Right. And I go out there and try to find the car. <laughs> Wait a minute, which car is that? <laughs> it's like living in a condo. And they all yeah. look the same. Yeah, and they, they had their numbers on the side, so you didn't have a list of the numbers. You, you didn't know whose car was which. Oh, that's funny. But that... it was amazing to see that many. See that many. There's no place anywhere that it's ever going to be no. that many. GT 350s, 65 and 6s. Absolutely. In one, one place. And how was the relationship with Hertz and the rental car thing in 66? Was that a pain or is that, I mean, it probably was good for cash flow. Well, I guess it was. That was Peyton Kramer, who right. was the general manager at the time. It was his deal he put together. Put together. Great deal, right? I oh, mean, a great deal, yeah, yeah for us. It was yeah. a lot of, <clears throat> we made uh, about mm-hmm. a thousand Hertz cars. And about 1,300 regular cars. Right. And we used automatic transmissions and started out in the Hertz cars with four speeds and automatic transmission because Ford had a new high-performance automatic. They were trying to promote. And they were trying to promote. And it was a good, really good 
transmission for the car. So they had them, but they, the people would fry the clutches <laughs> in places like San Francisco on the hills. You know, they had a lot of problems with that, so, but the automatics worked good. Sure. But I didn't realize until I wrote a book, which I wrote a couple years yep. ago, that, that there were as many automatics in the regular Hertz line as there were, right. probably 40% or something. I mean, wow. really high percentage. Sure. I knew there was a few, but I didn't think there was that many. And is, was it true people would take them and race them on Sunday and then bring them back or well, and steal the motors and replace them with a different motor? You got a lot of stories about that. <laughs> I mean, a couple of times that probably happened. Yeah, but not, it wasn't prevalent, <laughs> it wasn't right? wholesale. What about the story of this? And I, I don't know if you know if this is true or not, that Shelby would put a $20 bill on the dash of a Cobra and put it in first gear and tell the passenger if you can reach up and grab that you can have the 20 <laughs> oh, i never heard that one <laughs> well you know there's all okay, kinds of <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's called folklore <laughs> well and, and he lived on folklore oh, right. right i mean folklore is the, the, the driver of yeah it. exactly it's fame well you know what's funny it's uh you know somebody was talking about some of the things that folklore like the victory champagne spring that dan gurney supposedly started but shelby was standing right next to him i guess apparently with the first time he ever sprayed champagne yeah, and yeah. so they said Say maybe Shelby whispered in his ear to spray yeah, the, you spray know, the, spray those guys. Yeah, who knows? You know, yeah. it, it's all fun and speculation. It's no harm, no foul to to have fun and telling stories like that, right? You right, know, it's just right. it's, it, all, it's not like anybody's going to get hurt by it, or you know, something. Right. So no, no malicious. No, exactly. So uh, so you ended up going to work for Pinsky after Shelby, right? Yes. And that, I mean, was he a perfectionist then as much as he is now? Oh yeah, yeah, the same kind <laughs> I mean, of that was. That was Right was Roger's personality. He was uh, is an interesting guy and, and very proficient. Anything he wants to undertake. My wife, we used to go into his office on down on Chestnut Street, and she would come out, and my wife would say, "You ever see a clean desk like that? There wasn't anything on his desk. My desk piled high." But in the beginning, when we started in Newtown Square, Mark and I had a, had one desk <laughs> and one payphone. Uh, oh, yeah, we had with a bowl of dimes. With a right. Bowl of dimes. <laughs> so you got to work with Donahue for yeah, a lot, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, how amazing! Five years. Yeah. Oh, what a loss that was! And, yes. and and did you work on the nine seventeen program with him as well, well too? I, I did, but was, I did mostly administrative stuff and right. and. Uh, Operational stuff and requires shipping and I mean, all that, everything. <laughs> all the boring <laughs> stuff, right? Boring just like stuff. I was talking about just a yeah, minute ago. Yeah. But, uh, and then in the, in the middle of y'all, when, when y'all prior to the 917 running the Trans Am series, you switched to AMC Javelins, right? Yes. That, that must was, have been a risk. Well, uh, it was in a way, but we, we had uh, our shop, we had a five base sh- shop, which is still there. And there was a little house down in front. Which we didn't have, and we had our pay our pay phone and our one desk. <laughs> when we went to GMC, we took over the little house and set up an office down down there. And we had a couple of computers. Don Cox came to work right. for us from Chevrolet uh, Engineering, and then he brought uh, computers, uh, a computer. So we had we could do a few few things with computers. This was way before computers were this very prevalent. Way before yeah. they were very prevalent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they, they'd used them a lot at Chevrolet Engineering, and mm-hmm. Don was involved with all the, uh, the 
Jim Hall stuff, the chaparrals, yeah. and that, that kind of stuff. So he had a lot of good background. For, sure, for sure. That. And the computers were all the punch cards back in the day, weren't they? Or were they those big, or were these actual calculating no, computers? These were just like a desktop. Really? Wow, <laughs> how cool. And what's in that building now? You said it's still there. What's in that building now? Well, it's, a, it's actually, it's a, it's a shop, an mm. auto shop. Really? Yeah. That's and the, the little building, I, th- I don't know whether there's anything in there or not. I was, it was so funny. Uh, to, I remember the first time I ever saw a picture of, of, uh, Penske's racing operation in Mooresville, I think down in North Carolina, oh, yeah. and how oh. clean and pristine oh. it is. It was just unbelievable. Oh. So, uh, one of the things too, uh, we're talking about, sorry, we're jumping around a little bit, but, Ken, get back to Ken Miles a little bit. Was I mean, was he an engineer's driver? I mean, was he the guy who could convey to the engineers what needed to be done to a car as good as anybody? Or did yeah, he was pretty good at it. And he 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 could have been if he did applied himself. <laughs> if he bothered going to school, <laughs> right? I guess he he could have been a very good engineer yeah. himself. Same as Remington, you know, right? And they, they worked together a lot. They could figure things out. Yeah, and, and, and they had a good rapport between sure. each other. And <clears throat> so they, you know, Miles could find problems and, and, and he could fix them too. And, uh, right. Uh, but Rem, he and Rem worked together a lot on different things. A lot of a lot of engineers, I guess, will tell you that the most successful drivers are the ones that can convey how what the car's doing and be right about it, you know. And it's one thing to drive I mean, fast. Yeah, yeah, right. And you got to have the people that know what to do when you... Right. Right. And of course, back then you didn't have huge budgets. You know, it wasn't like you had unlimited money like some of these teams no. have nowadays. I mean, well, it was like when we switched from Camaro, which we got some money right. from, but right. Camaro to American Motors, and we had a good budget, and then we could have a a good program. Right. Was a, had a secretary. Right. <laughs> Ooh, fancy. Some, some room for <laughs> right. Room for offices. Some help and yeah, little stuff like that. That's the. So I got to tell you my funniest Chuck Cantwell story. So I'm coming back from Radnor Hunt this year, or last year now, I guess it is, and it's pouring down rain on Sunday, and I hear this car rumble up next to me, and it sounds pretty impressive, so I wonder, what is that? And I look out, and it's you in a floppy hat in your GT350. It's raining. I think you're trying to wipe off the windshield a little bit, and driving that car as if it was a Toyota Camry. <laughs> I love that. I was I, you, you won me over when, when I saw you driving that car. So you have... 6S796, I believe right. it is, the blue one that, uh, has got an interesting story and, uh, um, and you've owned it, what, 10 years now or so long? Yeah, by, by about end of 20, 2009. Gotcha. gotcha. <clears throat> from a, from a, friend. Right. In New, New Hampshire, who I had met when we went, he worked at the Ford dealer when I, we went there for races. At, right. Uh, and Trans Am, Trans Am races. Oh, he in New this, Hampshire, yeah. Yeah, New Hampshire. And he had this car stashed away for 35 years. So. Wow. <laughs> so I, I, and he kept saying in recent, in recent years, you gotta have this car. <laughs> but then he wouldn't come. I said, well, okay, well, what, what do you want for it? He would never. Hey, well, what do you, <laughs> what, are you what do you want to give me for it? Well, I didn't want to give him enough. <laughs> was what that was, but eventually we, we it took about a year. <laughs> what a negotiation, he was right? A car, he was a car salesman. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh. Oh, here it comes. But, yeah. but a very good friend also. Well, there you go. You know what's funny is, is 
that people will say all the time to our car guys, they'll say, what's the least you'll take for it? And I said, ask them back, what's the most you'll pay for it? Yeah, Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful car. Is that original mileage on that car? Is that like 30? Yeah, it's it's under 30, $27. And and it was, and when Stan, Stan had Hallinan who owned the Owned that car, right? Had Cobra number twenty four wow. or thirty four. Right. It was a, a Worman Sector car, right? With a two sixty engine. With a two sixty. And, and he had it. It had less than five thousand miles on it, oh. and it hadn't been run in years. When I first met him in sixty seven, wow. that car was in his garage, <laughs> <laughs> and he sold that for a million eight or something. Wow. Like yeah. And a street car that didn't run. <laughs> Could 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 you have just kick yourself on the Cobra Daytona for never buying one? When I probably you probably oh, saw sure. him, you could have bought him for nothing, right? Yeah, but I'd have done the same thing Bonrad did. He bought one for for ten thousand or for five thousand dollars, right? Right. And as soon as the price got to ten thousand, he sold that. <laughs> yeah, right look away. at me. Yeah, right. We all would have done that, right? Yeah, sure. Double money in a couple of years. That's oh man, that's so fantastic to talk yeah. to you. I tell you what, the history of of what you've experienced over the years, and just watching the Shelby things happen in the Mustang still continues to today. You know, the Shelby Mustang is still as prevalent today, if not more so, than it was twenty five years ago. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's it just is. Was a car that hit the hit the, ner- the yeah. uh, note mm-hmm. <laughs> in everybody's mind of what a good and, car like that should be, and it's such a tragedy of of for Ken Miles the yes, way he passed absolutely. number one, yeah. and also the loss at at Le Mans when he you know he could have yeah. won oh, you know yeah that that, that was. Everybody was unhappy about yeah. that. Yeah, that was such a bummer. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, last question I'll ask you. Ford versus Ferrari, I have to ask you. <laughs> did you love the movie? Was it? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was. they took liberty, as they oh, do in yeah. any movie. But uh, but it was a good movie, right? It was a good movie. Well, mm-hmm. well, ho- well made Hollywood. But, they, you know, Carolyn and... Uh, Ken Miles never right. wrestled in the street, <laughs> street, middle of the street, and, and the stuff. A lot of the stuff was done yeah. to emphasize the point that racing was dangerous. <laughs> exactly, which is an important point to make yes, that it is a yes, dangerous thing, yeah. and it and it should be dangerous. I mean, yeah. if you if you make it so it's beyond you know reproach of safety, then it takes the mystery mystique yeah, out of yeah. the racing. You know, did and Shelby never rode Ford around on the racetrack in the GT40, did he or did he? Well, I think he probably did, but right. I don't. Not it didn't not he? That he wasn't bawling. Yeah. yeah, we had had a. Um, time there where we had all the Ford executives out out to the airport and ran them around in the cars and right showed them what they would do yeah, and what yeah. they were paying for. Titus drove the the uh, GT350 right. around with Henry and oh how fantastic! Yeah, so. So that was that was good. Yeah, good times I would imagine. Very very good times. Yeah. And it's, uh, well, we'll have to do this again because I got plenty of more questions, as I said, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for being on the show today and uh, coming to Classic Auto Mall and hanging out with us. Well, you're <laughs> welcome, and it's my pleasure oh, to, to be here. Oh, and happy anniversary! I just read you just celebrated your oh, yeah. 58th anniversary. Yes, right. Well, that was we were married the day after Christmas <laughs> when I went to California. And, and she's put up with you for this and long. She, yeah, she, she made it stick. Oh, that's fantastic. Anyway, thanks for everybody for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Talk to you soon, the Classic Automall Podcast. We appreciate you listening to our show, and don't forget to come visit us in person next time you're in southeastern Pennsylvania. Admission is free, and our hours are on our website, classicautomall.com. 
You can reach us by telephone at 888-227-0914 or via email at info at classicautomall.com. To reach the show, email us at podcast at classicautomall.com. The Classic Auto Mall podcast is produced by CarSmarts Media with music by the Pat Travers Band. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.